Cancer journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 23 of the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast. I'm Jen Cochran. My guest this week is the fabulous Teresa Gowdy. Originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Teresa has lived in Reston, Virginia since 2004, where she's worked in various sales roles in the dental industry and is currently a clinical development manager for the world's largest dental company, Densply Serona. She was diagnosed in December 2016 with invasive ductal carcinoma, grade 3, stage 2B, HER2 positive, breast cancer. After 18 consecutive weeks of chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, and implant reconstruction, she's now giving back to other women through her work as a mentor with survivors offering support and helped start and serves as vice chair of the nonprofit organization Reston Runway to the Cure, which hosts an annual fashion show in Reston Town Center to raise money for local charities and national research and education. Teresa credits her husband, Robert, as her number one supporter, along with her loving family and countless friends who enrich her life every day. Welcome, Teresa. Thanks for joining us today. We met recently at a local event. We had an opportunity to talk a little bit about your story, but I would really love for you to just jump right in and share with the listeners about your breast cancer journey. Thanks, Jen, for having me. I was diagnosed on Tuesday, December 13th of 2016. I think most people remember that day that they got that news. I was on a trip to Virginia Beach and I was halfway through in Richmond and my gynecologist called and told me it was breast cancer because we had done a biopsy. I wasn't really that surprised. Didn't feel nervous. Felt like I was completely okay to get this news. I knew the news was going to come while I was away, but didn't really worry about it. But then what came next was what knocked me for a loop. She told me that it was very aggressive. I really didn't know what she meant by that other than to say it was in my lymph nodes. And that was concerning because I sort of always expected that I would get breast cancer. My mom had breast cancer in her early 40s. Because of all the publicity you hear about the genetic component, I just assumed I'll be the one to get that. And so at 25, I had my first baseline mammogram. I had a mammogram every five years after that, every year after I turned 40. And so for 12 years, I had a mammogram every year. Anytime I suspected anything, I had an ultrasound. I did more than monthly self-exams. So I was paying attention. I was like white on rice. For her to tell me then that my mammogram just 10 months prior showed nothing and to now have a tumor an inch in size and in my lymph nodes, yeah, that woke me up. I continued my travel down to Virginia Beach, was doing okay. Of course, I called my husband and told him, and first person he called was our sister-in-law who'd been diagnosed about five years before, and he had stage 3C breast cancer, and she's a very smart woman and on top of things, so we went straight to her as comfort and knowledge. Had a little breakdown that night, sitting uh, outside of my hotel, and everything was decorated for Christmas. I just had been a little hysterical because my girlfriend from college had died from bile duct cancer six months prior, and two months before her death is when she found out. So the breakdown came from this just happened so suddenly to her, and it was in her lymph nodes, and who's to say that now it's in my lymph nodes that this isn't stage four? Of course, my husband, being the terrific supporter that he is, he talked me off the ledge, and after that, I felt much better and started doing my due diligence that night in the hotel, 
but staying away from anything that might put me Google. in a, a down, downward spiral because in three clicks you could be dead. Yes, <laughs> like, I don't in three clicks you are dead. Right. So I started thinking, I'm going to lose my hair, so let me look at wigs and talk about stress management and what should I talk to my insurance company about and you know, make sure that I'm covered. And so I just was Googling all sorts of things and keeping my mind busy. Long story on that, just shorter. I left Thursday morning and headed back because on Wednesday, I made a point to call various breast surgeons. I had three scheduled, two for that week and then one for the next Monday. And it was because of this being in my lymph nodes that I wasn't going to waste any time. I got to the breast surgeon on Thursday, Dr. Hernan Vargas. I mean, the man walks on water as far as I'm concerned. Extremely caring and told me I have invasive ductal carcinoma, grade three, HER2 positive, which you probably know is about 25% of all breast cancers. Very aggressive. He's going to make arrangements to have a CT of my chest, abdomen, pelvis, a bone scan, an MRI, genetic testing. And it was just a whirlwind of 17 days doing all that, getting my port placed and having my first chemo treatment in 17 days. I felt really prepared. I mean, I had a lot of resources from uh, my sister-in-law. Started chemo first because it was in my lymph nodes. We, As you know, you have to stop that in its tracks first uh, systemically. But I was curious about the whole losing hair thing. My sister-in-law said she and her daughter, who was only seven at the time, had a little hair pulling party in, in her bedroom. And I thought, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I had a little party at my hair salon and with friends and family and over the holidays and cut my all of my hair off and it was down to the middle of my back. So that was a big that was a big deal. But then I thought, what is it, what is it really like to when they say you lose your hair, it just comes out. What does that mean? And so every day in the car, because I drive a lot, I'd just pull at my hair, just very gently, and I'd look down and I wouldn't see anything. And about three weeks into it, it literally just comes out into your fingertips. And I'm like, oh that's what you mean by no resistance. It just comes out. I ultimately shaved, had my husband shave my head in February. And uh, that's a pretty liberating experience, I think. So I did 18 weeks of chemo. So 18 weeks of uh, Taxol. And every three weeks, I got Carboplatin, Herceptin, and Progetta. Thought I handled that pretty well. Lost 18 pounds, which I could afford to lose 18 pounds at that time. Ultimately started to get neuropathy in my feet about 12 weeks in. Unfortunately, that's still here today, going on two and a half years, but it's manageable. I met a woman through a mutual friend who was also diagnosed recently, and she was scheduled to have a mastectomy. And I was in that period of time where I started to have to think about what I wanted to do. We thought that a lumpectomy was going to work for me. After the MRI, we saw all these speckles of what looks like salt being thrown at the screen. And he said, if that's not cancer now, it will be. He said, you know, you're not a large-breasted woman. I I can't really take just that tumor. I have to take all of that. Really, that was off the table. So I had to do either a single or double. And every time I started to think about doing the double, I'd get choked up. I'd get teary-eyed. I didn't know where that was coming from because I thought I had it all figured out in my head that this was absolutely the right thing to do for me. Given that my mom had breast cancer, by the way, all the genetic testing was negative. So we might just not know that genetic component. There was no BRCA1 or 2. But still, with my mom, I knew that my increase was twofold to have it again. So I thought, let's just do double. And ultimately I decided I was doing the right thing, but I couldn't deal with the emotional piece of it. 
um, myself. So my husband said, why don't you go see that woman? And that woman is a counselor that I'd seen for some other things going on in my life. She was very helpful. I credit my husband, Robert, for just, you know, sometimes I can't be your only support or maybe your girlfriends aren't your only support. Go talk to someone who's maybe outside of your circle. And she really was able to put things in perspective for me. So I did ultimately have a double mastectomy June 1st. Radiation was on the table. A couple of weeks after I got the news that there was no cancer in any of the tissue, I also lost four lymph nodes. We had at least three one-hour conversations with the breast surgeon about that because I was very attuned to lymphedema and wanted to make sure that I understood how he was going to decide how many he's going to take when he's in there. You know, it's not like he's going to go out and ask Robert what he thinks, and he's not going to wait till I wake up. And so we came to a, a good spot where he would do a sentinel node biopsy, and he would take all the things that lit up, test that tissue, and then if there was anything, I was willing to go back and get more lymph nodes removed. So he only took the four lymph nodes, and there was no cancer in anything. So you may know that's called a complete pathological response, or PCR. And so Dr. Vargas said, for women in your situation where you're HER2 positive, we do chemo first, you have the surgery, and there's no sign of cancer, you're in a good group of people that has a very low chance of recurrence. And now you have to think about whether or not radiation is your right path. He said, not to, he said, I'm not telling you not to do radiation because that is still standard protocol. So I decided to get my medical oncologist's opinion she said, oh, absolutely do radiation. Well, that just, <laughs> that just threw me because I really expected her to be in conjunction with Dr. Vargas on that. And she said, no, I, I, I see the recurrences. I, would, I want you to throw everything you can at it. We reached out to the radiation oncologist that I was going to see after an hour-long conversation. We decided that I wasn't going to do it because she said, if I were in your shoes and I had a chance of less than 15% of a local recurrence, she said, I would not do radiation. So that's why I opted against that. So then that made it possible for me to go to implants. I was going to do deep flap surgery because I wanted to reduce the risk of capsular contracture. But since radiation was off the table for me, I decided to do implants. And then two months later, I realized, I think I'm getting capsular contracture. So I still had it. I still got it in my right side. But of course, you know, if you understand that that's just the body's immune response to a foreign object, then it can happen to anybody. That was in July. I was back to work the end of August. That's great. It's very interesting about the radiation because my surgeon also, I had surgery first and she did a sentinel node biopsy and I had a positive node. So she went back in and took eight more. Mm -hmm. And one of those eight was positive. So I had two out of nine that were positive. And the guideline at the time that you and I were diagnosed, and it may still be the same, but if you had less than four, three or less, radiation was a recommendation, but not a requirement. It's kind of a backup plan. And my surgeon was very much like, when I asked her how many nodes she took, she said, I don't know. I won't know till the pathology's back. They're, they were so small, mm -hmm. I couldn't tell. When they came back, she said, hopefully we got enough to keep you out of radiation and not too many to put you into lymphedema territory. Yeah. And lymphedema is an interesting animal because... I do think at some point there's a lot more research going on around lymphedema. I'm actually planning to go up to New York 
to participate in a couple studies that are going on up there before the end of the year. But I think they're going to find that people who have a leaning towards scarring Mm-hmm. I've always been a great healer. I'm a bad scarer. As a result, I think that that's really what's contributed to I had axillary cording in my arm and in my ribs, and I have mild lymphedema. And I think that's why. But the interesting thing is with radiation, I went to the radiation oncologist and she walked in the room and said, my job today is to convince you to do radiation. And she said that if I didn't do it, my risk was 10%. And if I did it, my risk of recurrence would be 1%. But my risk of all the things, I already had axillary cording. It was worse from chemotherapy. I thought that I would be an ideal candidate for capsule contracture if we did something else, which my oncologist agreed. And he had said he had held his thumb and forefinger together, barely apart, and said, the benefits of radiation will be this big. And then he held them further apart and said, the risks will be this big. But I want you to go anyway. To which I said, okay, well, I'll go and I'll hear her out. And after three hours, we walked out and my husband looked at me and said, she said more things against radiation than for. And I think the decision to not do it is absolutely the right one. So he was totally on board. Yeah. Which makes a huge difference. It, it does. I mean, obviously, as we know, every person's situation is different. Absolutely. But the, the lesson to take away is to ask questions, try to inform yourself as best you can, and get other opinions. Right. Uh, and ultimately, decide what's best for you. Absolutely. And, and because if something goes wrong later, whether you did it or you didn't do radiation, you have to be okay with yourself. Yes. And so if I were to get a recurrence, let's face it, our, our chance is never zero. Right. So there's always a chance of it. So how do you know if not doing radiation is what caused you to have a recurrence? I, I'd never be able to prove that. Right. I also felt at the time, our cases are very similar. Good that you brought that up. Our cases are really, very similar in that we both had bilateral mastectomies. So it's only a recommendation if you've had a bilateral mastectomy. If you've gone with a lumpectomy, radiation is a requirement, which is one of the things that people don't always know up front. And then they do the thing that they think might be least invasive. Least or- invasive mm-hmm. or the quickest. You know, oh, lumpectomy, it was quick. You know, my recovery is quicker, less invasive, and it'll be out and it's quicker. Quicker to get on the surgical schedule. It's a shorter procedure. It's all the things that are quicker. And then they find out later the ramifications of that because they didn't know what questions to ask or what the upside is. And if I do a mastectomy, do I have to do radiation? If I do lumpectomy, do I have to do radiation? Those could be different answers. Absolutely. Because it was in my lymph nodes, I always felt like, not I felt like I knew from what they told me, I was going to have to do radiation. I was getting it no matter what. But there are clearly women out there that might not have to do radiation if they do a mastectomy. All these things inform you, but yet there's no map for some of this. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to circle back on a couple of things that you had talked about and also talk more about Runway to the Cure. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Enjoying the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast? Come on over to the Facebook group where you can join the community and participate in the conversation during the week. I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Teresa Gowdy. And we are talking about her journey with breast cancer. And one of the things that I just want to circle back on, she talked about the lady 
that, that she, woman. That woman. <laughs> <laughs> I joked with her and told her I'm going to get her a t-shirt that says, I'm that woman. So you had mentioned that woman that you had gone to talk to. And I think that's such a great, great point to bring up. Because I think no matter what situation we're going through, if we're going through something that's challenging us, it's always so beneficial to talk to an independent third party who can give us some perspective outside of our realm of people. Yeah, I've sought counsel about six or seven times in my life, and I'm 55 now. It was my sister who encouraged me when I was going through a difficult time. It was extremely helpful. I'm a get-in, get-out kind of person without passing judgment on anybody that needs to see a counselor on a frequent basis or regular basis because everybody has their own story. But for me, I needed to go talk with someone specifically about a particular issue. And once that particular issue was worked through, I was able to move on. So I mentioned that my mom had breast cancer in her early 40s. That is not ultimately how she died. She had lung cancer. She was diagnosed when I was going on 50, I guess it was. So it was five years ago. We had 14 months with her. It was great. And she really didn't get bad until like the last four months. And so I thought for sure, I said everything I needed to say. We got through everything together. Very open situation with my mom. I mean, she certainly taught me how to deal with my own demise. She wrote her own obituary. She picked out her outfit for the casket. She picked her own casket. She said she did everything uh, to prepare herself. And so I thought I was prepared. When she died, in June, a couple months later, I said to my husband, you know, just not really feeling good. I don't feel joy. Or if I feel joy, it's only fleeting. And it just doesn't stick around. And that's just not me. I have an employee assistance program through work, which is confidential. I called and connected with this woman in Sterling. And she was great. And she said something that was perfect to flip that switch for me. I told her my challenge, which was I wasn't there when my mom died. I had been going back to Pittsburgh to help her go to doctor's appointments and help in a variety of ways. Of course, my dad was there too. I wasn't there when she died. She said, well, ain't that a kick in the ass? And I saw thinking, well, where's the sympathy? Where? Why aren't you being compassionate to my situation? And she said, you don't control death. She said, you could have been there 24 seven and it wouldn't matter, but you don't control death. That was really the switch that was flipped that helped me turn the corner on accepting what happened with my mom and why I wasn't there and, and it was okay. When this came up that I was needing to talk to somebody, I just reached out to her again and she always seems to say something that flips the switch for me. And in this case, she simply said, you have thought this through. You are so logical and rational and you know, you know exactly what direction you're going to go but you haven't mourned this loss of what a mastectomy means. Not just a body part, but then there's the feminine aspect to it. There's the fear of what you're going to look like afterwards. There's just a lot that you don't know and being vulnerable to that possibility. It really was just calming to talk to her. It then ultimately led to me meeting this other woman who was about to have a mastectomy and we got connected through this mutual friend and she was willing to share what she was going through. I was willing to share what I was going through with chemo and we were on reverse paths or you know opposite paths back to knowledge being power. I started to really get comfortable with my decision and I don't think I ever had tears after that. It was great. 
So I would recommend to anybody who's struggling in anything, you know, we, we take care of every other aspect of our bodies. Why don't we take care of our brains the way you go to the doctor for anything else? Absolutely. I had gone to see someone after my divorce. The original intention was to go to couples therapy, to which my ex-husband went one time. And my girlfriend said to me, as he was canceling at the last minute while I was in the hallway, going to this lady's office, my girlfriend said, you're going walk into that office, you're going, just go by yourself. And it was great. I went for 12 sessions. And at the end of 12 sessions, she was like, you good? I said, yeah, I think I'm good. She was like, fantastic. And it was really just that process of talking to someone who wasn't a friend, wasn't involved, wasn't a family member, had no horse in the race to say, yep, you're totally normal. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's validating. Uh, and sometimes we need that. And we need to focus on our emotional, mental health. And there's nothing wrong with talking to a stranger who ultimately is no longer a stranger once, right. you, once you meet them. She's someone that I'm sure I'll continue to see throughout my life as things come up. It works for me. And I don't think I've ever gone for more than six sessions for any of the subjects. So it's very helpful. Yeah, that's great. There's so much research being done right now around post-traumatic stress and cancer, either caregivers or survivors, people being diagnosed much further after the fact because they're having anxiety mm -hmm. or depression or whatever the challenge is. And then we're finding people are getting diagnosed five, six, seven months a year outside of treatment or caregiving. And people are being diagnosed with trauma, delayed trauma. There's a branch that's being studied right now on fear of recurrence is being classified in a delayed trauma category. I'm glad that we're kind of opening up around that topic and some of the more organized isn't the right word but my mom went to a practice that was her breast surgeon her medical oncologist her radiation oncologist and they had a psychiatrist in the practice and you saw them all kind of went through your parade of appointments and in her case they just sort of checked in where are you at What's well, your support system? Because some people have a great support system and have a mechanism for that problem solving and others don't. And it's Yeah. And 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 I I I fit both categories. I have a tremendously supportive husband. My uh, employer couldn't ask for anything better. Fantastic friends and neighbors and just people in the grocery store seeing me bald because I chose not to wear a wig. Very supportive strangers. So I, I constantly felt supported, but yet I still felt sad or just emotional tears right behind my eyes for no reason at all at some, t at some points and other times, every time I was talking about the mastectomy. So you can be in both worlds. You Absolutely. can still have a support system, but still need to have someone else to talk to. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, and I think you're talking about a whole person approach, and I'm not sure what the right terminology is for that as, as um, practitioners start to think about their practice of treating the patient. It's not just about treating the illness. More and more organizations have gone to that. I know Inova focuses a lot on that. So, yeah. Yeah, and in my previous podcast with Dr. Susie Carmack, we talk about the, of course, now it's escaping me. This is my chemo brain. Um, <laughs> I, I have it too. You noticed that I didn't help you out because I can't figure out what you're trying to say. We talk about 
uh, we talk about sense making, how we make sense of where we are kind of determines how smoothly we move through the situation. For me, I knew what I wanted to do. I had a lot of information. I wasn't your kind of typical patient where I was getting fire hose of information. I had a good basis. I had a lot more information than the average bear. And I was able to act from that place. Most people don't have that base of information. I would love to talk about your work in the nonprofit Rest and Runway to the Cure. During treatment, I was approached by someone at the Infusion Center for Life with Cancer and SOS, Survivors Offering Support. And I didn't because I felt so supported in other ways. I didn't really feel like I needed that. As time went on, people were saying to me, you know, you, you would really be maybe helpful to other women if you were interested in ever getting involved as a mentor, I started thinking more about that. I remember being one of the counseling sessions saying to Patty, is there ever going to be a time when I don't look at something or see something on TV or talk with someone that doesn't revolve around breast cancer or, or just any cancer? I mean, is there ever going to be a time where 24 hours can go by and I don't have this conversation? And she said, no. <laughs> Again, I thought she'd be a little more sympathetic, but she said, no. She said, especially not if you think you're going to be in this mentor role. It's going to be coming up all the time. I said, okay. So I kind of came to an acceptance with that. And it couldn't have been more than maybe a month later, a friend asked if I wanted to be a model. And I use that term loosely uh, in this runway to the cure event in Reston Town Center. And this was maybe April or May, I suppose. No, it must have been later than that, maybe June. I agreed to do it. It was being hosted by Jane Abraham, who owns Scout and Molly's in Reston and now has another location in Boston. And she partnered with the manager at Athleta to put on this fashion show. Jane used to be on the board for Komen and she wanted to raise awareness for breast cancer, but also do something to help promote the store. And she thought, but what better way than to do it through a fashion show. So I said I would do it. I was still in treatment at the time. I was through chemo and going to be through my surgery. So I thought for sure I would feel good by September. It was at the end of September. There was a nice showing, maybe, you know, 75, maybe 100 people raised uh, close to $10,000, which was terrific. My husband is the executive director of Reston Town Center Association. So he's looking at this and he's saying, wow, this could really be a huge event. And so as we were walking back home, we passed the store and we popped in and we asked Jane if she would be interested in a little help for next year's event if she wanted to do it again. And she said, absolutely. So the three of us got together. By January, we started to create a board of directors. By the middle of the summer, we had our own nonprofit status. We decided that the best part of the previous year's show was that all of Athleta's models were breast cancer survivors, whereas I was the only one for Scout and Molly's that was. Athleta had the models write a little bio uh, to share during the event. Anybody that was in the audience was most moved by those stories. So we decided as a board that everybody should be a breast cancer survivor. And I offered to be the contact person for getting those models and, and welcoming them. And I had a couple of good friends who post some the Lean On Me page by Laurie and uh, Karen, who's very closely related to the 3Bs Foundation, which provides the baskets for mastectomies. And I just put it out to them and say, would you mind posting this? And sadly, good, good bad news, sadly, we had 39 models in less than two weeks. I was the 40th model. So it's sad that there are that many women, but it was also very encouraging that so many women wanted to get involved. 
we had a tremendous showing. A friend of mine who came said he used to do security estimation in the military, and he estimated we had 600 people at last year's show. So it was super exciting. We raised over $36,000 and donated close to 30000 to Komen. They were a huge supporter for us. They're most nationally known and, and the support that they've given all of us over the years. But they had infrastructure that allowed us to raise the money, which we appreciated. Now that we have our own website and we've decided that we wanted to try to keep the majority of the money locally. So this year's event uh, we're going to have on Saturday, October 19th in the Reston Town Center Pavilion. 75% of the funds are going to go to the Stepsisters Organization, which raises money for women who are in need of childcare, pet sitting, transportation, utilities, rent, any kind of support you can possibly need. Stepsisters steps up and helps them. And then the 25% we feel is very important to go to a national organization that focuses on education and research. And because Komen was so good to us the first two years, we want to continue to give to Komen. But next year, we'll probably select a, a different national organization. And we will have posted probably the end of this month the grant process on our website for other local organizations to apply for those monies year over year. We have multiple rest and retailers and restaurants involved. The Hyatt is our best sponsor in kind services. Rest in Town Center is a major supporter. We have multiple retailers in addition to Scout and Molly's being the primary fashion retailer. We have Athleta, Devel. We have a male model this year. There was one who was a breast cancer survivor, but unfortunately he had to back out because he has to move that weekend. But we decided how great it would be to have a man run, walk the runway. So we have a man who represents Men Against Breast Cancer, a nonprofit who supports the caregivers. So Devel is going to outfit him. We have South Moon Under, Chico's, Talbot's, Potomac River Running. Um, but anyway, lots of retailers. We have multiple restaurants, Barcelona, North Italia, which is new to Town Center, Patango, The Hyatt all donating food for the after party that's in the pavilion. I accepted the role as vice chair along with Jane as, as the president and we sort of been overseeing all of the various committees. We have legacy models from last year that are involved in volunteer roles. So there's lots of opportunity and you are one of our models. So we're excited to have you. That's the only criteria to have had breast cancer or be a patient in treatment. And what's really great about it is that without any other other criteria, we have diversity in age, diversity in body shape, diversity in all levels of breast cancer, all stages, diversity in ethnicity. We had a mother-daughter team last year. So it really is representative of the entire community. We're really looking forward to a su- successful event. That's fantastic. And I'm really excited to participate this year. Looking forward to it. I think it'll be a really... Jay McLaughlin! Jay McLaughlin! <laughs> That's who it is! <laughs> they get a special shout-out. Oh, Jay McLeod, Danielle's been fantastic. So I'm glad that came to my mind. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So the last thing that I just want to touch on is I always ask people, what's the one thing that you didn't expect that no one told you about that you think others should know? I remember people telling me what chemo is going to be like, what to expect, what surgery is going to be like, what radiation might be like if I did it. Your life is going to be different. Nobody ever said your life is going to be better. I think I'm a better person. I guess other people can judge from that too. I think I'm a better person because I found something that I'm passionate about. There have been things throughout my life that have occupied my time 
time, I used to be a very big volleyball player. Could have played every single day of the week, twice on Sundays. And once my rotator cuff started bothering me and I couldn't play in tournaments anymore and I just couldn't play even recreationally and I couldn't play at the level that I wanted to play, I thought that that would bother me. Didn't bother me at all, really. I golf a lot. If someone told me tomorrow you could never golf again, I'd be disappointed, but that's okay. I never expected this feeling of being able to impact other people's lives, the reward I would get from that. I can talk about breast cancer all day, every day. Even when I said to Patty a couple of years ago, is there ever going to be a day when I'm not talking about this? And she said, no, not if you're going to stay engaged. You can, you can get on with your life and pretend that you're never going to think about it again, but that's probably, you're deluding yourself. I really have become more charitable, not only with my time, but financially. I think that I'm less judgmental. I think that I'm friendlier. Not that I don't think I was friendly before, but I think not to talk to strangers everywhere I go is just so enriching to my life because it isn't even about breast cancer. It's just changed me at my core. I think this passion that has come from having breast cancer was something that nobody could possibly have ever prepared me for. And I'm grateful for it. That's fantastic. One of the things you and I had talked about as well, and this is something I experienced in the same realm, is I remember you mentioning when we were together a few weeks ago for Runway to the Cure, your marriage never being so good. (laughs) It was never bad. (laughs) Right. But that it could be better. Yes. And I experienced something similar. My husband and I were together We'd been together for five years. We'd been living together for five years. But when I was diagnosed, it shifted something in him. That's right. We ended up getting married in the middle of chemo. Ah. We were talking about wigs and hats and hair versus no hair. And it was so funny because I did wear a lot of hats. My mom, not local, so we had gotten online one day and we're going through and she bought me a million hats. I've shared the wealth with (laughs) people who have needed them. And it was winter when I my chemo finished in December. So there were days it was cold. I needed a hat. When I was in the house, though, I didn't wear my hat. Sometimes when I worked with clients, I did and sometimes I didn't. I worked all the way through. But I was looking at my wedding pictures. My hair had not grown back and I did not wear a hat. Oh, that's fabulous. That's awesome. So that was interesting. But you and I had also talked about how we know people who have left relationships as a result of their cancer because things didn't go as good. Yeah, and and I think what's, you would think, oh, it's the man that left the woman. No, the woman left the man saying, I'm done with this. You weren't as supportive to me or whatever it may be. And my most desperate time, it was the woman who decided, I'm I'm getting a divorce. You look beautiful in that photo. Thank you. I I had trouble having pictures around the house of my old look at one point during chemo Robert turned all the pictures down it must have been a couple of weeks later I said you know where did all the pictures go and he said well I noticed that it was bothering you so I thought I'd just you know take them down and I was really appreciative of that and I eventually put them back up myself when I was ready I couldn't even tell you how long of a time went by it didn't really matter it was just when I was ready yeah but yes my my husband is fantastic I I just can't even begin to say how he has supported me in so many ways. It's even better now. And I feel like 
you know, survivors offering support as a mentor now is something that I really get a lot of satisfaction from because I, I probably get assigned somebody maybe once every six or 10 months because of her too. It tends to be someone connected yeah. with her too. Again, I, I just am re-energized by it every single time. That's fantastic that you didn't wear your hat there. That's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you spending this time with me today and being here in the studio with me. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come see you face to face and have more of a conversation. So if anybody ever gets a chance to to sit down and talk with you, I would encourage them to do that. It's been a terrific experience. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to October 19th. Yes, October 19th. It'll be super fun. Yes. So uh, thank you. All of your listeners are welcome to come and see you in person and the other 39 models. And we're, we're excited. It's going to be a great show. Awesome. It's going to be a super fun day. Thanks. Thank you again to Teresa. It was great to have her here live. Normally, I meet with my guests over Zoom meeting. For this week's Personal Consciousness Minute, I'm going to go a bit off my usual script. Ordinarily, I circle back to the interview for the topic of the week. This week, with the Runway to the Cure event coming up, I know for me, I have a few more busy days than I normally like to have in a row. For that reason, today, I want to talk about sleep. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine has found adults age 18 and above need a minimum of seven hours per night of sleep. So my question for you today is how are you doing with that? Be honest. I get it. I sometimes struggle getting enough sleep myself. One quick note here. This is a use it or lose it type of thing. The research does not support the idea of catching up on sleep. It does support the potential for decreased health and wellness if you consistently find yourself at a deficit. My challenge for you this week is to prioritize seven hours a night of sleep for the next week and see how you feel. Then come on over to the Cancer Cliff Notes private Facebook group to share your experience and learn more about how you can improve your quality of sleep this week. As always, have a great week and thanks for listening.